Hello, and welcome to the Kosh. I'm your host, Timber Smith, and the Kosh is a podcast that spotlights people who've had an association with Oshkosh or the surrounding Fox Cities area. Kosh listeners, how are we doing this morning? I am glad to be here. I'm glad you are here, taking a little bit of your time to spend with us. It is a fabulous morning. Um, but you know what? I normally give my my environmental update at the beginning of it, but I'm not. I'm not going to give it because I'm going to save it for my what in the world is going on with because it's it's appropriate for this day. So I'm, I'm I normally you know how I do. I normally would, but we're going to hold back. So instead, what I'm going to do is to tell you why. Why do we have this amazing guest again? I don't know why we get all these amazing guests because I get amazing guests that the people people are nice enough. They give us time. They want to talk to the Kosh listeners. Actually, it's not about me at all. It's all about you. People want to share. People want you to know they want to share a conversation with you. So I just think that's awesome. So much. So once again, we have an amazing guest. I'm really excited about this conversation because there's, you know, sometimes there's just energy in the space, you know, and if you've been lucky enough to be a uh, guest on the Kosh, you understand what I'm saying uh, due to the fact that the space is really my daughter's old bedroom. So it's not a fancy studio like some people think it is. No, the space is the space. It is about as humbled and homey as it gets. It's, it's authentic. <laughs> so, but the space today has special energy. So I'm excited for this conversation and I think the guest is too by the smile. So without further ado, this week's guest is Greta Lacks. Hey Greta. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. See shining. The sun is shining. I'm here with you. Hey, I'll take that. Excellent. That's better than a a sharp stick in the eye. That's always a good thing. Like when people are happy to actually be here, you know, because because I do make people get up really early to come <laughs> and spend time and record these episodes. So that's always fabulous. Look, so anybody that walks in and they're like, ah, but you know why I do it early in the morning? So you can have the rest of your day. It's very nice. Yeah. You don't want to be selfish. I appreciate that. You know, and because it's weekends, you know, you definitely want to give a person the opportunity you know, the goal is to get people out. So if they've got other things to do, they still have a lot of day left. It's my, it's my way of being thoughtful. I'm a night owl. So this is a concession. And I love it because regardless, sunshine on the drive here, all that, I was, you know, it brought a different kind of energy. So, so I'm able to be more awake than I typically am at this time on a, on a weekend. Day, so. Oh, the night owl. <laughs> I know about that night owl life. I actually, I would, I want to be like, I used to be a really good night owl. I'm not so much anymore, but I used to really enjoy that time. It's quiet. Mm -hmm. It's my time. Absolutely. It's my time with the TV. It's my time with my iPad. (laughs) Nobody's bothering. Yep. So I feel that. Okay. You ready to jump in? I'm ready. Okay. So, um, Greta, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your association to the Kosh? Absolutely. 
Um, so I am a Wisconsin native. I'm not a Fox Cities native, but interestingly, my parents were. So my parents both grew up in Kakana. Um, and, uh, but eventually moved up, up north, north of Eagle River. So I actually grew up in Land Lakes, Wisconsin. What? You yeah. mean like Land Lakes, like the butter? Like, not the butter. <laughs> <laughs> There, isn't there Land Lakes butter? Is there? Is there, there is. I'm pretty sure that's Minnesota. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that's definitely not us. That's um, not y'all. No, it's definitely all the lakes, though. Um, really tiny little town, and uh, or at least it, you know, it was. Um, so that's where I grew up, going to school in Eagle River. So shout out to Eagle River as well. More people know that because it's vacation land up there. Um. And uh, my connections back here, I went to school at St. Norbert's. Uh, I got my undergraduate in psychology there from St. Norbert's. Mm. Um, Interestingly, I went to UW-Oshkosh for my junior year, my junior year only. (laughs) What? (laughs) At least as an undergrad. Yeah, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to double major in psych and criminal justice. So I was adding criminal justice, which they did not have there. Were you trying to be SVU? I already wanted to, no, I wanted to reform the entire system. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. That's fair. That's fair. I thought thought we were going for FBI. (laughs) No. You know, that's because isn't that that combination? That sounds like that combination. It does, but I was already there. I was already, oh, no, the system, mm-mm, there's some stuff we got to do here. And I spent a year in the classes, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, either I'm going to shoot myself in the foot, somebody else is going to shoot me in the foot. Like, this is not, I got to get out of here. I got to go back. This is, I need a different direction. Okay. <laughs> this is a cool direction for people to take, and if it's a, your, your, uh, it was not for me. Not for you. It was not for me. What, what was the thing? Uh, what, what? changed your path well what was that thing i just i couldn't connect i couldn't connect with the material in the way and the people in the community and stuff in a way that i felt was conducive to to being able to do the things that i wanted to do right to create those kinds of shifts um did you did did you feel like you ran into the wall of bureaucracy is that what that was like you realized that the system was you well, just can't change the system. It like was it's too, I was too young. Like it was too new at that point. But okay. I, I do think it was more of just, you know, you know, I went into psychology because I'm interested in, in people. You know, I'm interested in human behavior. Um, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, there were a lot of different aspects of it. So part of it was community. Part of it was just not feeling like connected. And like it was a place that I fit at the time. Um. And sometimes the good things we learn are the paths we don't want to take, right? Back. Uh, right. Um, as a working with students for a really long time, that's always a win for me. If they find a path and they can they say, nope, that one's not for me. Right. That's not a loss. That's really important information. <laughs> it, it saves a lot of time and money. Oh, gosh. Right. Yes. Right. Um, so we spent a year here and went back to St. Norbert's and, and finished, uh, finished my undergrad there. Um. Let me think. Uh, lived in Sheboygan for a little while. And actually, um, after that, I had some uh, significant really health issues that kind of took me out of the workplace for a little while. So I had to move back home for a little while, Had to, was on disability for a little while, actually. So that's a whole other part of the conversation. But um, 
was fortunate enough to have the resources, the connections, and then just to be in a place where I worked my, you know, worked myself out of that, um, with, uh, with some support and then ended up moving back down here. So lived in the Hortonville area, lived in Oshkosh area, um, and eventually decided to go back and get my master's uh, in industrial organizational psychology at UW Oshkosh, which doesn't exist anymore. The program doesn't exist anymore. I was very sad to learn just kind of recently. Yeah. I think it was something that disappeared recently. Yeah. Um, Fabulous program. And it was a great fit for me. Um, So, so that's kind of, my connections to some of my connections to the area. I want to know um, more about this Lando Lakes. Lando Lakes. Yeah, oh, that's gosh, all right. Such a small town. That's what I want to know. Yeah. What? It, what? How small is Lando Lakes? <sighs> and is there a stoplight? No. <laughs> <laughs> See, in Wisconsin, that's how I judge how small a place is yes. by like. Is there a stoplight? Because I've learned this because right. I didn't previously. I didn't know this. I didn't yeah. know like there's places with not even one single stoplight. Mm-hmm. They're lucky if they have a stop sign. The larger, the larger town, right? So you River, where I went to, so I had to ride the bus for an hour each way to get to school. What? Uh, by the time for middle school and high school, Bruh. um, and that larger town that I went to school in, they didn't get a stoplight till I was in high school. <laughs> Wow. So yeah. that was the large town. That was, that was a large town. Mm. So, um, and land of lakes is very much, you know, tourist industry. It's gorgeous. I mean, it literally is the land of lakes. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. And I know that that's a significant reason why my parents moved up there, um, is to be able to enjoy all of, all of that, which is different when you're living up there and, and trying to scratch out a living. I'm thinking when you're a young, young person, like <laughs> what you want when you are older, young people are like, yeah, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I want some action. Yeah. I want to see people. I want to kick it. I want a club. <laughs> no, I- which, which is hilarious because for us it was, um, you know, we, my brother and I talk about this a lot over the years, kind of the difference in that experience then versus now, because, you know, we had one channel on TV on a good day. Maybe we'd get a second channel. <laughs> one channel. Yeah. We got NBC and, oh. and if the weather was good, we got CBS. And then once in a great while, if the weather was perfect, we'd get, I think, um, one of the, you know, public. Oh, like PBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you so, didn't even have any Sesame street or nothing. Um, extremely limited. Yeah. Whatever we had was really limited. So, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so that gives you a completely different cultural reference for that time. Like, and even the radio station we listened to was out of Wausau. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Bruh. Yeah. Okay. I didn't um, even think there were, well, I, I don't know anything about Wausau. I was going to say Wausau has a radio station out of it, but that yeah, works. Yeah. So, um, and so yes, there was, there was, oh gosh, it was extremely limited in things that you could do, especially as you got to be a little bit older and, you know, as a teenager and stuff, there was a lot of driving around town that was, you know, cruising the strip. <laughs> oh, okay. So there was cruising. See, Absolutely. once again, this is telling me more. Hanging out in Brander's parking lot. Yeah. As we got to be older. Um, but as younger kids, you know, we talk about it. We also had a kind of freedom that kids today will never know. Um, because we didn't have all of those, you know, those external pressures of who we're supposed to, you know, those 
the extent to which they have today, which is just unimaginable. Um, telling them who they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to look like, the way they're supposed to talk, what they're supposed to listen to. So they have a lot of variety in terms of the access that they have. And at the same time, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that that we didn't have. I mean, we were... Oh, so the opposite of helicopter kids running around in the woods. Like we lived in the middle of the woods, right? We would just disappear. <laughs> 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 my brother and I were talking about this. There was, you know, my, my dad's John boat was in the neighbor's yard across the street. We'd be out on the boat. You know, I think I, I know like as a, as a, as a step parent, you know, I'm thinking that that terrifies me thinking of my kids running around with that kind of right without that kind of protection, you know, of course we weren't in life jackets. We weren't, you know, we shouldn't old enough that we shouldn't have been out there on the lake by ourselves, but we were. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Just exploring and doing all kinds of stuff. It was, most of it was a very shallow bay area. So in retrospect, I can think of, that makes me think of those things a little bit more safely, but um, we did, we had a kind of freedom also um, that a lot of kids today just don't have. Um Yes, that turned into a lot of boredom as you got a little bit older, too. Right. I, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I get it. I get it. That would be that would be f- pretty cool. Um, yeah. I mean, just that idea of just being able to go out there, experience, kick it um, without much worries. I'm going to assume that your parents didn't worry about that kind of thing because, I mean, for God's sakes, you're, you had a lot of, I'm going to assume, and I'm assuming lots of woods around you. Oh my gosh. Like, no, people were not going to find us on accident. (laughs) 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 People who wanted to find us would have a hard time finding us. They were going to have to work towards finding you. And work really hard. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, um, very different experience and at the same time um my, much of my focus as i got older was doing everything i could to build out my resume so i could get out um you know i was trying to do all of the things right participate in all the clubs and all the activities and all those kinds of things to build up that resume so i could get out and i was so anxious to get out that i actually left my senior year and spent it in brazil Ooh. Yeah, i was a rotary exchange student um i i was 16 years old i we were talking about a little bit earlier. I was one of the, you know, the youngest. I was always the youngest in my class or the second youngest in my class. I think when I got to college, <laughs> it started very early. You were not 18. So I was 16 years old. Yes. And um, thankfully under a really great program through Rotary. Um, turned 17 while I was there um, and spent that, yeah, that last year of high school in a foreign country because I was ready to get out. That's, you know... I want to commend your parents because there's not a lot of parents who would have been okay with that. I, um, I think my mom will tell you that I was a force even then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this was about you. This was about you being a force of nature. Okay. I'm understanding. My mom, my mom was supportive, terrified, but supportive. And, um, and the rotary program was, was pretty good in terms of, you know, helping prepare, I mean, as, as much as they could, you know, beforehand parents as well and having those conversations and um, trying their best to prepare you for an experience that you can't really be prepared for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I worked three jobs, did, you know, during the summer, did all of those things to try and save up the money so I could make this possible. Um, I was adamant. You were, <laughs> you were, you were determined. There was, there was no stopping you from getting away from the no stop light town. 
yeah. And and in a in a lot of ways, it wasn't just about getting away. It was it was it was really gold. You know, it wasn't just about getting away. It was getting to somewhere, right? It was getting to a different place and creating more opportunities because I just kept seeing over that horizon and where I wanted to go. That makes sense. That makes so much sense. Okay, you ready to jump into the first segment? Um. Oh, we talk about connection to the. We can talk about anything you want because oh, okay. it is your episode. So, hey, if we're not done, we're not done. Let's go. Well, there's one more thing um, that uh, is is kind of interesting. So while I was here um, in Oshkosh uh, on 9-11. Oh. Yeah. So I remember I was a grad student at the time and I was on my treadmill in my living room watching the television um, and seeing the first tower come down. Mm. Yes. So when we talk about the flashbulb memories and those things that really, you know, sit in your, in your brain. Uh, facts. Um, and I remember going to class a little bit later that day and I was like, you guys, were you, did you, are you aware that this happened? And everybody's like, oh yeah. Kind of like, I'm like, no, no, really? <laughs> Do you know what is happening here? Um, and I was so shaken by it, um, and and not just shaken, but also, I think to my my urge to do something about it kicked in. Right. Um, so I organized a citywide vigil for mm-hmm. that happened on sep- September eighteenth. <laughs> so um, a week later. Right. Um, I, I didn't have connections in the city, right? I was a student at the time. So I don't, in retrospect, I'm honestly not even sure how this happened. I remember sitting in my friend Leslie's kitchen and I just kind of started making phone calls, like going to the, the, the phone book and and calling people and saying, hey, this is something we should really do. And and everybody said yes. Um, there was nobody absolutely. that said no, yeah, right? Absolutely. Everybody said yes. Um, so we ended up... Um, having between five and 600 people at Riverside Park, um, having representatives from the Fox Valley Islamic Society, uh, from local synagogue, from First Congregational UCC, from the city, uh, police, fire. Um, We had fire trucks there. I think we borrowed the flag from Perkins. You know, they have that ginormous. Oh, that's a ginormous flag Um, at Perkins. (laughs) It's like the biggest flag. I'm pretty sure that was the flag that we were able to borrow. There's two in the region. I just started making phone calls and said, hey, we should do this. And everybody said yes. So it happened. Um, And and that, I think, was for me, um, it about meeting a need that I had in terms of needing community to come together. Um, And also a different level of, um, moved me into a different level of activism and doing, uh, as opposed to just thinking about um, than I had. I get that. Um, And fortunately, you know, that kind of continued. We were able to, we had an Islamic forum at uh, the university that year. We had had another panel discussion um, in October talking about the love-hate relationship with the United States where we had students um, from the Middle East and we had, you know, faculty members. Um, We actually had a visiting professor in Islamic studies at the time at the uh, University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. So that was super, you know, um, like, what is the timing? What is the chances of that have, you know, existing in Oshkosh at that time? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, so that was just, it was a huge transition point, like I said, for me, because I think I realized how um, sometimes it's just a matter of one person picking up the phone uh, and making the phone calls and bringing in people that there's often, not always, but often there's a willingness and they just need that spark to get things started. They just need somebody to actually lead. Sometimes. You know, um, I find that there's two, the two powerful things that you need to happen. You need somebody who's willing to be the leader and you need the first person who's willing to follow. That's that. Those yeah. are the things, because if yeah. you get the first person, mm-hmm. it says to others, it's OK. And that idea is that you don't have to be at the top to be a leader. No, right? absolutely not. Actually, the most powerful leader is the second person. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's something actually that I saw. Um, it's not actually my concept. It's actually something I saw in a, uh, a TEDx and somebody shared it with me. And they were talking about like the person that really affects change is the second person to follow. Right. So if there's a group dancing and you have the one person dancing, it's one thing, but it's really the person that joins them. Yes. That says to everybody else, it's okay. Which is so true because every phone call you make after that, everybody's like, is anybody else doing this? <laughs> right? So, like, it's one thing to be the person starting the phone calls, but it's yeah. it's another to be the Absolutely. person that they can reference and say, yep, I got this person. And then they're like, this oh. person's on board, yeah. Yeah, as long as, as long as they know they're not alone, it does make a huge difference, but it's a huge leadership move. And I know people don't think of it that way. Because everybody just thinks of the person that starts it. But it's the first follower. The first follower is a huge leadership move. That's that's a great point. Um, and there's the aspect is that you don't have to be in a leadership position to be a leader, right? Mm-mm. I was a student. Um, you know, I had been here for, you know, a pretty short period of time. Um, and... And to remind, right, that reminder is that you don't have to have a big title behind your name. You don't have to have any of those things to to make things happen. Um, I, I just went to some leadership training. So my whole thing is this. That's some old um, American leadership brainwashing stuff. Like, because we... We here in America have always made these leaders certain a certain type, and usually they're male and they're white and they're old, and that's what you. And if they're not old, they're middle aged, and and it's the when you say the word leadership, and I challenge you, listeners, uh, when you say the word leadership, who are the first names you think of? Is it people like uh, Warren Buffett or the president or any of those kinds of things? Like that's not the only kind of leadership that's a type of leadership, but we see leadership every day, all sorts of leadership um, in excellence and excellence. Uh, you see leadership at a cash register at a grocery store where somebody is that cashier clearing the, uh, clearing the line faster than anybody else with a smile while nobody talks to them or smiles at them or says anything positive to them. And they keep, Keep it moving and keep things moving. That's leadership. Do we celebrate that? Do we tell them? Not enough. Not enough. Absolutely not enough. So uh, you're right. Leadership just comes in all shapes, sizes, forms. And I think, too, it was a huge instigator for me um, for, for what I do today. You know, kind of that path of really a huge 
piece that's that we don't spend enough time on is understanding the differences between us. Um, acknowledging the differences between us, seeing value in the difference between us and, and making that effort to learn. Um, so I think that was a kind of a relatively early attempt that kind of led me down the road that I've, I've taken along the way. It definitely hasn't been a straight path. <laughs> I, I'm not one of those people that like knew what I wanted to do when I was five and did that. No. Well, but. I just think learning difference is like, I think in the entire, tension to learn difference isn't how we learn difference yeah we we learn difference when we're put in an environment and we get to see the difference and compare it to our frame of reference and then we go oh well that really isn't that different <laughs> that's that's how I see it. Like when you when you either let somebody in your silo or you take down your silo and you go in and you expand your silo, um, and then you just get to see at the end of the day the humanity of all of us. Um, when you humanize all of us, that difference really isn't that different. That is a really important thing that we don't often learn until we connect with other people who, who have those differences for us. And um, and at the same time, a lot of the work that I do today as a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach and consultant, um, my passion is really on the piece of helping people develop those some of those basic skills, uh, some of the basic knowledge that's going to help them learn that as a process. Um and, and some of it really does require intention because otherwise we stick with what's comfortable. Um, we have a tendency as human beings to focus on just the similarities between us and get by that way because uh, it's efficient for one thing. Um, and when you're part of majority culture, you don't have to. Facts. Bruh. <laughs> um, so, so that level of, of comfort that in a way limits us so significantly. So... Um, but it is also a skill set, and there is also kind of this developmental trajectory that we're on as human beings, um, and understanding where that other person is on this developmental trajectory around, um, we call it intercultural development, but, um, helps you better understand how to connect with that person and how to help them find their way to, um, like, what is their path? What should their focus be on if they're truly interested in learning more about other people? Because where our mindset is affects our capacity and 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 our lens on the world. Um, Facts. And one of the first things that we have to do is understand our own lens on the world and Bruh. how it differs from everybody else's. We can't make that assumption, again, typical of majority culture. We cannot make that assumption that everybody looks through the world through the same lens. I think that happens when we're in our silos and you're reinforced by a bunch of people who are sharing your lens and space and lifestyle and uh, background, the whole nine, whatever that is. So, yeah, I don't know. That was that. That's it. (laughs) All right. Now, this time, I'm not going to make the mistake. Is there anything you want to add? Um. No, I think that's I think that's good. Other than um, uh, shout out to the Christine Ann Center, I was also a volunteer there for the the years that I lived here, and really um, 
loved working there, the the folks there, and really grew a lot in in uh, as an individual through a lot of the work that I was able and enabled to do there. They're a great organization. Yeah. Just period. So, Christine and Center, if there's anybody out there who's listening, I would love to have a representative come on the cash and let's let's have that conversation because I do think. Even though I in Oshkosh, I think it's a really well-known uh, organization. I think more people would like to know. And that's what we're here to do. So, all right. All right. Ready for first segment? Yes. First segment is what in the world is going on with where you start with the phrase, what in the world, and you tell us what's on your mind. What in the world is going on with DEI as a field right now? Oh, Bruh. Now I'm okay. I am captivated. <laughs> I am all in. I am listening. What what do we got? Oh my gosh. So just there are so many things going on in the world right now. So there were so many different directions this could have gone, right? Well, just and, to, just just to be clear, I want to make sure that people know if a DEI is a field is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thank just you. in case uh the Kosh listeners, you might not know what that is, but in my world I know what it is. Of course Greta knows what it is, but it's it's so interesting. So with a background in industrial organizational psych, which most people also don't know what that is, right? So this background in um, studying organizations. So that's both at the, the organizational level, you know, when you're looking at things like organizational culture and engagement in the organization and change management, and then also looking very much at the people level, right? And what's the science and practice behind how do we best... Um, recruit and select and train and retain and manage the performance of right um, of individuals within or- an organization. So it, it comes at it. It's really broad, right? So it's not just organizational development. It's all of that um, and the science behind it, which fed so much into um, my work in DEI today. Like that field, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand um, DEI holistically and some of that facts or they assume they know what it is Yes, they assume they know what that is and there's also this weird sense of um a field that's been along for a really long uh, around for a very long time right much of this work came out of the civil rights movement um that is at you know the core of it and and some folks may remember from back in the day you know encounter groups (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> places where this started, you know, let's uh, sit in a room and get uncomfortable. And um, recognizing that as fields develop, right, there are fits and starts, and then there's also kind of this pendulum swing. Um, and then there's also not just the back and forth, but the involvement, right? How How does the field evolve over time and how this has evolved over time? Like there was this sudden push, right? This was enormous push after 2020, right? Right. Um, after the... Basically George Floyd. Right. The killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery mm-hmm. um, and, and all of the other social contacts that was going on <laughs> at the time, which isn't so, right? The pandemic and everything else. So there was this enormous push where suddenly everybody, you know, is on board and more and more organizations are creating these positions without clear understanding of what they're trying to accomplish and why just because they think it's a good thing to do or feel like they should, or it's a should. 
It's a should. And and there's no way that they could have known. Yeah. Right? Just from the people who were making these decisions yep. and who their identities were. Oh, my gosh. And a lot of people being pushed into the roles that didn't have backgrounds in DEI. They had the will and the desire to do change, um, to make change and to contribute in this field. Correct. Um, who suddenly have expectations on them that are completely outsized um, and few resources, whether that's people if any. Or, or money, <laughs> budgets, if any. in order to make these things happen. So, <laughs> so I Bruh. think in many ways, because of that enormous push, now we're getting the pendulum swing back the other way and you're getting kind of this blowback that's saying, but you haven't accomplished anything since 2001 when we created this position. <laughs> I think there's some of that, but I also... I don't know. It, it, my observation would say they brought people in. They they threw a big heap of make good of this. Yep. And those people, because the field, and I'll tell anybody this, and, and there's others who probably disagree with me, but to me it's an emotionally charged field. You can't do the work without your whole heart being in it because it's personal. There's nothing about this that is not personal, whether it's the people you are trying to help make change for or the people that you're trying to help educate or, or, or to bring them out of their silos. Um, it is an emotional lift. So that, like other publicly interacting jobs where you are emotionally invested like that. It's a quick burnout. So then those people are leaving in two to three, Absolutely. two to three years. You're, you're like, mm, I can't continue for the support I'm getting to continue to lift like this. And I think, I think you're right. And I think we're at this place where there's this intersection of so many different factors that came together. Um, one of them is like the long view of the field, right? So we, where we started off, where we've tried to come over time as more and more people paid attention and started collecting data specific to what DEI looks like in the workplace, what we moved from trying to change people to trying to change systems, right? And focus on the systems and somewhere again, that was a pendulum sway where we went from one to the other. And it's like, no, we need both. Um, we need to focus on like the, well, here's that. I also teach social workers, so you've also got the, you know, the micro, the meso, and the macro levels, or the individual, the organization, and the societal and systems levels, right, where you have to teach all of them. So we kind of went so far in the systems direction, they said, oh, we can't change hearts and minds, and it's like, well, you can't change systems and keep them in that place unless you also have the people that are going to maintain them, right? So there's that pendulum swing that, that we've, we've hit in the face of. Um, so some of it's the progression and the, the advancement of the field itself. Some of it's, um, a, you know, a huge push. And then a, there's going to be a drawback. So there's also that swing. Um, there's exactly what you were talking about in terms of enormous burnout from people who go into this because they're hugely passionate about the work and then don't get the resources and support they need to do the work. And then a just general misunderstanding of what DEI is and having to fight that uh, all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I tell people all the time, um, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where um, the position was formulated for years, decades, 
Um, so I don't have to explain my job. I don't. There's not a lot of people who ask me that where I've got to explain what does that mean? Because I'm the eighth. I'm not the first, which most other municipalities or, or um, counties and stuff are on their first at maybe their second. Um, and so, like, there's a bunch of explaining about what does that mean? What does it do? How does it help? And, and all of that. And that's exhausting when you're constantly having to do that. Absolutely. Um, instead of just being able to be. And to go do the work. Like, that's huge. Um, and add on top of that, um, you know, they're, they're this focus in the media on, you know, do, should this exist? Does this work? Because as we try new things, right, we learn through trial and error, just like everybody else does. And these, you know, here are some of the things that aren't working. Here's what is working. And kind of be because of where we are socially, the focus has been on this is you know, what's not working as opposed to this is a normal, natural learning cycle for every field. Oh, yeah. We have to do that. We have to learn what does work, what doesn't work, and then use that information to move forward. You don't quit. You don't stop doing it because the goals, you know, still exist if right. they've been formulated. If you took the time at the beginning to truly focus on what that means for your organization and how it ties to your mission and your values and your goals, which again is a step that a lot of people skipped over. Well, that, and I think you have to explain it in such a way that um, you, everyone, everyone at the table who, those that may not even believe in it, understand why it's good for the organization and why it's even important for them. And there's a way to do that. Oh, like, absolutely. Um, how to bring them in and not leave them out. It's critical. Oh, it's absolutely part of the fundamental part. And also I'm, I'm not a big, I'm a person who believes like some of the, whenever we create all of this new vernacular and new definitions and new terminology, um, you're asking a lot of people to learn it. So I use the term often of culture. Because what we're really doing is we're, and companies do this all the time. Organizations do this all the time where they realize, like, we have uh, we have a toxic culture, so we've got to change our culture. We've got to fix our culture. We've got to do this. We have to, our culture has to catch up with the times. Companies talk culture all the time. This, to me, is not any different than saying we need to work on our culture to be more inclusive and to help people feel like they belong. Absolutely. And it's just one more lens through which we need to look at all of the policies and practices and systems within the organization, right? It is just one more lens that needs to be applied throughout the organization. It's not this separate thing over here right. that is just about benefiting certain people. So a certain population. Right. And it's not. This no. is about how do we build better organizations that are more equitable, that are more inclusive throughout it's not just this one thing to benefit this one group. It is about, right, overall becoming a better organization. Um, well, that's where it becomes like. toxic. Yeah. Facts. And that's, and that's where, where some of that backlash is coming from. And I think that that's the opportunity that we have. Part of the opportunity and the responsibility that we have is to continue having those conversations um, and have them in ways that meets people where they are. 
Like there are some people who are not ready to have this conversation still and that they're not going to be. And we still have to create those opportunities so that we're continuing to bring more people in and talk to them about what does this mean for you where you are? You know, what are what are your identities? You know, what are your in- intersecting identities? What does this, um, what is your way to relate to this material? And then how do we leverage that so that we're not just making every, making folks feel like this does not include you, right? You're the bad guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're the bad guy. You're not included. This is about fixing you. No, this is about overall addressing the right. The yes, some of the individual behaviors when you have to, but it really is focuses on policies and practices and systems and helping the individuals get to a place where they can see through this lens that they haven't looked through before necessarily because they often haven't had to. Um, and utilizing that to just make things better for uh, better overall. Yes. I, there's so much more I could, I yes, want to say, know, but I'm, I'm huge. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, if I open that Pandora's box, <laughs> we're going to we'll be, be here till next week. <laughs> yes. We'll be here for a long, long time, but I agree wholeheartedly. And personally, I have yet to run into the person, um, professionally who, really doesn't have some type of willingness. It's just that they're either fearful um, because of past experiences or what the asks were, uh, feel attacked, um, uh, tried to question, uh, pushed on their pride, so to say. Um, It's definitely an approach thing to me. Um, Maybe not to everyone. Um, And you do got to meet people where they're at. That's the most important thing. Everybody's not ready for... Uh, what I call DEI grad level. Um, a lot of it we have to start at uh, DEI 101, which is uh, pre-K, 4K. <laughs> and yeah. just just a basic conversation like of, of, of understanding we all have identities. And it's so fascinating. Um, and that's part of why, um, while I do some basic DEI consulting, my passion for the work is really working with leaders, um, other coaches, other consultants, um, on the professional development aspect that helps prepare them to be in a better place so that they have a stronger foundation so that they can more confidently and more effectively come into this work. Facts. And that includes other folks working in DEI. Bruh. Yep. Um, so let's, let's, because another piece that people don't really think about is that much of the first stage of it is looking at yourself first and understanding better understanding yourself, that self-awareness component. This is another component of self-awareness that has been missed, right? Uh, along most of our paths. No. (laughs) (laughs) Self-awareness. Oh my gosh. That thing again, that's critical, right? For, for good leadership. Um, that's that's kind of backwards from what people expect when I tell them that we're going to work on intercultural development, right? So you said we're using the word culture, and that's actually kind of the basis of where we start and where we come from is holding up that mirror and saying, okay, let's 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 talk about this. And it's not about labels; it's about understanding where you are, what your lens on the world is, what's your capacity, what are your strengths, what are some of your challenges, and then let's set some goals that are relevant to you, and tell me what you're curious about. Tell me where what you're curious about because there's a lot of things people are afraid to ask about. Yes. Um, t- 
tell me where your curiosity is and then and then let's let's leverage that and and try to find a developmental pathway that's going to help you develop some of the skills that you need based around your curiosities, your goals, and where you want to go next and where you want your organization to go next. I agree wholeheartedly. Except for what I do personally is um, figure out where those curiosities are and then figure out how do I provide a safe space for you to seek those. Absolutely. How to, how to question, get answers, to be as unknowing and as ignorant as you can be safely without having your humanity or pride attacked yeah so whether that's individual coaching or a place a space that as a group you can work through some of that correct and developing that toolkit so the next time that thing comes up you know where to start right you like yep. you feel that when you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach and you're like ooh, ooh, what's this where's this coming from yep. that i'm leaving you with the tools so that when that happens you can work through that yep okay we went hard on that. All right. Can't help it. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm not trying to badmouth that. Bruh. I'm just saying. You know? Absolutely. So uh, my what in the world is going on with, and I'm going to keep it simple and short. Uh, what in the world is going on with us getting 14, 15 <laughs> inches of snow? Why? Why? I don't understand. Why? How does that even happen? We had no snow up until about 5 a.m., all of a sudden, snowpocalypse 2023 wants to happen. Um, I don't get it. And and we and then get like 20 some inches, you know, the, the well, seriously, it was like I saw pictures. I do think in Oshkosh here we got no less than I want to say 10 inches. Right. And then by the afternoon, it gets warm and it wants to start melting. And so now today on recording day, which is the day after Snowpocalypse 2023, um, I'm just saying to myself, Wisconsin, you wrong. <laughs> you are wrong on so many levels. Bruh. I don't understand why you do this to us. Bruh. Why, why you wrong. And, and other than once again, let me just put out there that the. The uh, order of snowblower owners who are out as we all went out there to handle this business of all of this snow and we looked at each other, except for this time, it, this was this was real like this was no joke like there was no smiling happening amongst us snowblowers out there we're we didn't get to point at each other and smile like we're getting to use our big snowblowers and stuff like that instead this was serious business it was like i'm gonna handle this business and i'm gonna look up and see if my guys are all right over there or my lady over there is all right and and i do mean that because there was everybody was out handling a business uh period and and we were all looking at each other with concern like i hope that our snowblowers can handle this and if yours goes down i got you i got you Bruh. and that is what was happening so the wisconsin you wrong for this i'm gonna forgive you because i love you but you still wrong <laughs> tell me i'm wrong you're not and poor carl um so you you've met carl so carl's my partner for of uh 13, 13 years. I don't know. I know I'm supposed to know all these things. Um, mm -hmm. He's listening. <laughs> uh, he's like, he, no, he's because he's going in his mind. He's like, how long has it been? <laughs> he's got the same. Um, 
just got back from Germany. He was in Germany for work. So he came, he came back just in time for a snowpocalypse. He's mm. like, now I got to go out and shovel. Are you kidding me? Facts. <laughs> because we have not yet invested in a snowblower <laughs> since oh. moving back. Oh, no, no, that's not, that's not a, that's not a choice. <laughs> That's an understanding. Uh, That's like buying groceries. Like if you're going to live here long term and you are in charge of it. See, me and my wife have already talked about it, that somewhere in the near future as we get older, we must move somewhere where we are no longer responsible for facing things like snowpocalypse. We don't want those problems. Those are problems we don't want. Facts. And I'm just saying. Um, This is. So thankfully, so having just moved back, I don't remember if I talked about that or not, but um, so after Oshkosh, I moved to Akron, Ohio, where I continued my education. I spent the last 20 years there. So um, very similar, except they get a lot of lake effect there. And our first winter back, so Carl is new to Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) So our first winter back was very easy. Uh, Last year was, you know, it was, it was very easy. Yeah, that was for Wisconsin. Yeah, that's yeah, an easy for Wisconsin. Winner. So, um, he's he's had enough of it now, and he's ready <laughs> to do whatever Bruh. we need to do to be able to hire somebody else to take care of this. He's like, don't we have kids in the neighborhood who come out and shovel or something? Uh, Carl, I'm gonna answer that for you. I've had the same request, and no, those kids do not do that anymore. We do not have hustling children like that anymore. Oh those children prefer Xbox over or playstation over hustling for a couple of bucks to shovel snow and cut grass i've been looking for that teenager for years now and they i'm i think it's i'm not gonna lie like they're they're kind of uh extinct it is it's so different it's so different now and some of that's on us as the parents. I'm just old. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just going to old. I'm old. Um, and um, we did also, we would occasionally have kids come by in the neighborhood, at least when, when we were in Akron, that would come by and, hey, can we shovel for you? And they'd come back maybe twice, though. Like, because they, they had something that they were looking, they had a goal, a oh, short-term goal in mind, because they were right. looking to save to buy that Xbox or yeah. that game or that. <laughs> Facts. And then they were done. <laughs> That's right. I'm a hustle. I'm a hustle for this weekend, and then I'm out. Yeah. So he's about done with that as well. I, I, look, I'm with Carl. Okay. We've gone hard, hard. <laughs> we're just beginning. We, oh, we haven't even jumped in. All right. So. First segment is, well, actually we did first segment. So second segment is word association. This is where I say a word and you tell me what comes to your mind. So the first word, the unifying word, the all happiness word. I'm going to call it a happiness word because I do believe that is it. Uh, We're going to start with the word food. Oh my gosh. We, we love trying new things. Um, We love variety. We love trying all of the, the new things. So that's been one of the, one of our ways of working our way back into the Fox cities is through the through restaurants in the area. Oh, yeah, and there's many Wait. good ones. What's the what's the newest thing you've tried that you thought was fabulous? The newest thing we tried we thought was fabulous. Um Oh. No, there's well um 
actually yesterday we ordered from Cozy Corner, which I oh. had from once before, but it was a long time ago, and it was like like in pandemic times. So now we were able to order the oh gosh, the whole thing. We got Uh-oh. it for takeout and came home, and it was just joy, just comfort and joy in yes. the styrofoam. <laughs> Bruh. It is. As a person who has spent many Fridays now in at the cozy corner and they know, look, I walk in, I got a booth, they know. Oh, excellent. They don't even like the first thing I, they don't ask me when I'm going to drink, they just start talking to me about desserts because they are <laughs> the rest of the order is known. <laughs> and uh yes, it's a fabulous place. It just makes me happy. It does. It was. It was comfort. Yeah. And fun. Cocktail or beer? Yes. <laughs> and you left wine off the list. Um, well, well, so which is interesting because I'm not, uh, I'm actually at for like, because um, uh, of a health thing, I'm not actually drinking. For, I've got like a year, um, a dry year. <laughs> oh, okay. No libations for you. <laughs> yeah. For right now. Um, it's not like a forever thing. It's just a right now thing. Um, so, but otherwise, uh, yes. And if the beer, probably a wheat beer. Um, if it's a cocktail, it's probably got gin in it. Um, otherwise, there's this very lovely uh, grapefruit and rose vodka that is just beautiful. Mm. It, is, it is a. That's it. Uh-huh. it is, yes, it is just delicious. Um, or wine. And uh, back in Akron, because that's where I spent most of the last 20 years, I had a couple of friends who were you know, really into wine. Like, no, they know all of the things about all of the wines. <laughs> I'm mm. like, I'm like, is it red or white? Cool. Is it dry? Because I don't like sweet. Um, and uh, I could just trust because I was in this group of friends that whatever we had was generally going to be excellent. And now I got to start over. So if there's any, you know, venophiles out there that are looking for a friend to introduce new things who they can try to teach all the things i won't retain them <laughs> fair enough i just need you to pick what i'm gonna drink um yes that that works uh, i'm gonna be honest with you wine uh and my daughter will tell you this uh wine is fruit juice so <laughs> and that is exactly how i refer to it as and it is nothing more than fruit juice to me so just give me some really good fruit juice um, under the premise of wine and I will just uh, basically pour a really big plastic cup of it because it's fruit juice and that is just how I treat it <laughs> I have no shame there's no sophistication to me about it just it's fruit juice no worries hey. and I didn't have to have that sophistication like I said because I just hung out with them and they oh. picked the good stuff so mm. I didn't have to yeah mm-hmm. I feel like I'm the guy who would probably pull out one of those old school plastic Tupperware cups like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty and say, pour my fruit juice in here (laughs) and I would get it in. I don't care if it's like a thousand dollar bottle of fruit juice. It's just fruit juice. (laughs) Yes, I know there's people shaking their head at me right now and just saying, Timber, you are a hot mess. In some days, yes, I am a hot mess. That is just how we do. Okay. Um, next word, concert. Um, you know, my very first concert was actually Take Six. Do you remember Take Six? Oh, yeah. They were like soulful. Acapella. Acapella, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, why do I feel like they might be coming to Oshkosh? What? 
I they might be coming to Oshkosh for Jazz Fest. Don't quote quote me, but that might be true. Oh no, I'm looking this up. I'm gonna have to look this up, and and don't beat me up if I'm totally off base. But I feel like that might be some. There might be some truth in there. I was I was a uh, you know choir nerd in high school was one of the many things that I was doing. So it was actually our <clears throat> choir director that introduced me to Take Six, um, and I want to say who opened Al Green. <gasps> Al Green. What? Open for Take Six back in, back in the day. Mm. Yeah, how's Al amazing. Green opening for anybody? I he know. is the he is Al Green. <laughs> you have no idea, like me and Al. Mm. Somebody else might look that up and flip my memory, but I'm pretty sure that was yeah. Take six was a headliner at that one. So, mm. um, otherwise, I'm not a huge crowds person. Um, I do remember. Oh, also going to the Eagles. Their hell freezes over tour. <laughs> So again, I'm aging myself, but they always said they were never going to get back together, and then they did. So go see the hell, hell freezes over tower tour. Um, more recently, um, what do we go see? Uh, Counting Crows with some friends, uh, but Carl and I are a little more. I don't know. Uh, ben Folds, Elvis Costello. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and. Um, Something that I, I'm not sure if they tell me, you can tell me if they do something like this around here. Cause one of my favorite music events in Akron was an event called porch rocker where every summer they would um, shut down a section like blocks and, and people would host, people would volunteer to host on their porch, different bands so you could walk around this whole day to all these different porches and listen to all this different music. It was just, it was the most wonderful thing. Because for me, again, not a huge fan of crowds. Right. So, and the exposure to so much of this local music. I think our answer to that is Mila Music. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, okay. Yes, not on, just, not on, pe- just yeah. not on people's porches. Yeah, this was a little bit more chill than Mila Music. It wasn't quite that. It was a little bit more relaxed. Oh, okay. Atmosphere. Uh, Milo music is amazing. Yeah. Um, I think even some summers back visiting, I've been able to go um, with friends here. Okay. Yeah. Shop local. Yes, and. <laughs> so um, I wholeheartedly believe in supporting you know local businesses, um, and. As someone with accessibility needs, I also rely on those services that can bring that stuff to my door. Hey, look, there is no bad. I'm not going to knock that. I I do not like supporting those giants. um, And uh, so there's a little bit of guilt associated for me, as you can tell. Um, and I also rely on the, the convenience and the ability to have groceries delivered to my door or to have whatever delivered to my door. And, um, and some of that actually more of the local places, actually, that's part one of the silver linings that came out of the pandemic Right, is folks had to find a way to do that. Right. Um, so I'm hoping a lot of that doesn't go away because that actually enables me to do more of that. I actually think that's a... It's a really good thing just to take a moment to address and just say, like, um, there's a lot of people who would love to do more shop local, but maybe their situation does not allow for that. And, you know, hopefully, but it it does it comes with a cost. So I'm not trying to add cost to our our small businesses who are out here trying to make things happen. But 
it is one of those things like maybe maybe it isn't maybe whatever it their services or their product is that they offer is not that far fetched to find a way. Um and just remember that there's a whole nother um audience, a whole nother constituency of customers out here who um may need this not for convenience purposes. And and there is still the fun of going into little local shops. And um, I remember that was one of the first times I met someone for coffee in, in the Nina area when we first moved back and discovering the the fabulous little shops um, yes. you know, along around the, the around Law's coffee shop there. <laughs> <laughs> and like getting in, I'm like, oh, this is and kind of the joy of being able to find those little spots. That's coffee. That's Coffee and tea spots are my favorite shop local right now. Oh, yeah. They oh. just do a good job. Yeah. An excellent job. Okay. Diversity. Um, it's a gift. Um, I think, yeah. It's uh, an opportunity to recognize and value all of us and our varied identities. And I think it's enriching, and it is a gift. Mm. I just want to say that to me it's bigger than a gift uh, because uh, I just think it is like um, we need to recognize that it's present it's all around we all are part of some type of diversity whatever that is uh, whatever that identity is and uh, it to me is just more of a it is to recognize as a gift. That's and that's I guess more where I was coming from. The yeah. capacity to recognize and value um, that diversity that is a gift to the person who has to have the capacity to do so. Yes. Yes. Community. Um this has been on my mind so much since the move. Um Mm, this is good because you know what people who boomerang to this region because i'm i'm learning so much from our boomerangers as i will refer to them <laughs> as well no because it's so true i get to have so many really good in-depth conversations with people who left and came back um and I feel like people come back when they realize what they want. Mm -hmm. Like there's a part when you leave, when you're a little younger or you're trying to figure some things out about yourself or professionally and you're going to go and you need to go see some things and find out. But then when you know what you want, I find so many people boomerang back because they realize everything that we were kind of thinking we wanted at a certain stage in life. It was there. It was already there. So I'm just going. I'm just going to go on head back. Just head back and boomerang back. I never intended to be gone for that long. I meant to go um, finish my degree and come back. It was going to be four years away. Finish that PhD and come back. And that is clearly not what happened because <laughs> because whatever we plan, life happens. Um, but community was a huge component of my life and work in Akron. Um, it was 
uh, Akron is a very diverse community, much more diverse than than coming back here. I want to say Akron is 30% black. We have a really significant refugee and immigrant population, um, slightly less visible, but still important Latine uh, population. And um, 30% black. Yeah. That's that's significant. Um. And that's where my work was based, right? Because I was doing a lot of health equity, health disparities work and, and work and, and, and diversifying for the health professions. So coming back here has been uh, a little bit of a, you know, while the Fox Cities has changed and diversified to some extent since I've been gone, right. um, I'm, I've also changed significantly and much of it because of um, the community and and the community that um, I actually spent most of my time probably working um, because of working on health disparities and stuff, working with the black community, working with the refugee and Im- immigrant communities <clears throat> there. Um, and I, I miss that a lot. And, and, and those communities are probably some of the most significant personal and professional growth for me. Um, because of some of the grace that I was given along the way um, and because I was committed to listening and learning. Um, you were invited in. I was invited in. You you got to come to the barbecue. I was allowed, yes. <laughs> and I was invited, yes. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. There's code words. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, my gosh, and do the aunties have fun with me? <laughs> oh, I know what the aunties do. The aunties, you know what they are? I give them one definition, the truth. Absolutely. They do not hold back. They ain't going to be shy about nothing. They're going to tell you authentically the truth. But they are the greatest gauge of goodness in people that there is. If the aunties say it's good, it's good. Trust the auntie. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm working on that. I'm trying to work hard on kind of redeveloping some of that here. Um, so I'm thankful for you. You've been one of the folks that I've been able to sit down with and kind of talk about inroads and where to make some of those connections and finding people to connect with here. Um, because it was such a huge part of my life uh, there. And now I work from home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it's, it's both. It is both. It is absolutely both. There's some great things about it. Um, and it's it's harder, and we have to work harder. And, and some of it is just moving back at this age, too. Um, you know, developing those new connections, finding a new... You know, certainly I still know some people and have some great friends here in the area. Right. But And... But you're rebuilding trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that takes time. It takes time because the lens in which people are going to allow you to build trust with have nothing to do with you. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It has to do with historical context. Of course. Okay. I love that. Okay. You know what? I think we're going to take a quick commercial break did you know there are children in the fox valley in need of hearing aids but their parents struggle to provide them because of lack of insurance or high co-pays 
I am Juliette Sturkins, audiologist and board member of Here in the Fox Cities, and proud that this small local nonprofit organization has helped fund hearing aids for some 30 kids. Your donation would help more children hear. Visit hereinthefoxcities.org to learn more and to see their smiles. Every child deserves to hear. Okay, we're back. And we're going to move into the next segment. And the next segment is Cash Hidden Gems. Um, Cash Hidden Gems is your opportunity to share something that you have found in a community that you think is a gem, whether it is, um, it could be the thing itself, or maybe it's something about the thing that everybody doesn't know about. So um, what's your hidden gem? Um, actually, this is really tough for me because I haven't spent much time in Oshkosh since I've been back. Okay. Um, uh, do we have a Fox Cities hidden gem? don't know if they're hidden i probably haven't found them yet <laughs> <laughs> you are you are really fresh in this boomerang stage i really, I really am mm. um and especially because we came back you know towards the end of the pandemic and oh stuff, so you know that really would change the yeah. boomerang like coming Oof. back and then there's a bunch of stuff shut down and it wasn't just about things being shut down. I also have health issues. So I'm also was more cautious um, oh. than a lot of people in terms of going back out. Oh. Um, especially, you know, when everybody else stopped masking, that that had a significant impact on me. Bruh. Um, yeah. Facts. No, so. I, I get that. I know others um, with those health issues. And to be perfectly honest, I might be one of them. Yeah. Um, where you do have to just be a little more cautious than others because of um, prior health issues. Um, so... Let me think. Um, but I do say, because I've been listening to your podcast, there is a place I cannot wait to try out. I'm super excited to try out. I think it's Mara's, the Brazilian. Oh, yeah. I am dying. So that's like on our list for this week. Um, oh. Yeah. This week? <laughs> this week. Okay. I haven't gone yet. Okay. Now, I've had okay. multiple I've had multiple guests refer to Mara's. Mm-hmm. And um, it's on my, I need to get it done. I have a month. I need to get it done by the end of May. I need to go to Mars and Mars is up the street. Like it's probably about three blocks from here. So I'm, I'm waiting to see if she has like one of my, my favorites, the pound queijo. It's uh, the cheese bread. Oh. I'm crossing my fingers and my toes that that's one of the things. Here's I'm what I'm going to do. Actually, I'm going to say, I wonder if they're open on Sundays. Oh, I don't know. If they're open today, I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go ahead. You you done brought it up. All right. Now we got to make that happen. <laughs> All right. That's a fair gym. Um, is there anything? Well, you mentioned the Cozy Corner. Um, is there anything that you've attended that you thought was just really cool since you've been back? Um, Juneteenth. Oh, actually, I think our Juneteenth in Appleton is a hidden gym. It is. Um, and almost literally because of the park that it's held in, right? Oh, yeah, because of Jones Park. <laughs> yeah. Literally, it's in a ravine. Yeah. <laughs> like a glacier ravine. Um, I was uh, really happy to be able to go. I wasn't able to go the, our first year back. Um, actually, we weren't, let's see, 2021, we weren't, oh, we weren't back in time. So that's why we came back basically July 1. Um, so really glad we were able to, to go last year and really also, um, 
not just by the event itself, but a thing that we saw there were the was the history. Yes. Um, right. The, those um, historic panels. Those panels um, that. That was the History Museum, and I'm not sure who else was who else who was all involved in that. You probably know better than I do. Um, at, I can't think of the, the names of, of those it. panels. Yes, that was an immense amount of work that somebody put into making sure that all of that information was there, and it's fabulous information. And if you have not had a chance to see that, really great information yes. about. Yeah, about the history of race here in the Fox Cities. Let me just, uh, first of all, let's give a big fat shout out to uh, African Heritage Inc. Uh, particularly to uh, Dr. Bola and Dr. Robbins. Um, they go hard. And but as far as that, um, those history panels, like those things are amazing. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, and I actually didn't know this until a conversation with them. Um, last year sometime that that Juneteenth Day celebration has been nationally ranked in the top 10 in the nation. So to think that there's a Juneteenth Day celebration in the Fox Cities region that was nationally ranked or is nationally ranked as one of the best in the nation is insane. Who are we? It is. That's that's amazing. Bruh. Facts. So And I need to meet Dr. Bola. I need that's that's on my list. I, hey, she, um, what I'm going to say is she's not hard to find because she's highly active in the community. Yeah. So, you know, hey, that, that's nothing but a thing. <laughs> connection I'm looking forward to making. All right. Um, maybe we can help with that. We, may, we might be able to help with that. Um, what's the cash need? Um, Yeah, again, this is a tough one as, as, as a new, new person coming back and at the same time um, recognizing, okay, so if we are having all these boomerangs and we want to draw, continue to draw people in, what are we doing to help connect people to the needs in the community? Um, we've had to work really hard <laughs> to find those doors so is there a way, and I think this probably happens when people come in with a company, um, that there's some helps make more of those connections, but no, 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 I will say one of the things that we hear about, um, even in my position is the, there's this thing where the people who are from here have their, have their circles, have their connections, have their group of individuals, whether personally or professionally that they connect with. And when you're when you are an outsider coming in, it is really hard to find your way into these groups, whatever those groups are. It's all sorts of things. Right. I'm not being I'm not being specific because it's not specific. I hear this from all sorts of different people. And that's tough because these are people who either moved to the region because they wanted to connect and saw there were the opportunity. There was lots of connection points because let's be, a, let's be honest. This is a very involved region. This region does community service and volunteerism at a high level. Um, so I just think um, what you're talking about is that's not just you. 
that is a lot of boomerangers and it takes them from my conversations two to three years to break through and find to find their to find their village of 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 involvement um, into the community, whatever that looks like. Which absolutely makes sense. And part of that is just moving to a new area. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, how, how could we do better in terms of welcoming people in? Well. And helping, sure, and helping make sure that they stay. Um, those are things we're working on. Uh, and there's a number of individuals, uh, organizations that are working on this in the sense of um, there's been – there's been conversations about concierge services, uh, particularly for private sector businesses, where you can do a tour and get in, and get introduced to the different resources and um, whatever those are that match what your wants and needs are. Um, and then there's there's invitations out there from, let's say, our nonprofits, our volunteer groups to get involved. Um, but those um those invitations are not intentional often. So they're broad and they're made to the public. But if you're the public and you don't know where to look to find the invitation, then you're not really invited. So how do we invite you? That's really that's how I see it. Like that's that's where the breakdown happens. How do we find you as the new person in the community and how do we invite you? And how, even for those organizations that, that you do connect with, so there's, which I think is a whole interesting thing about the area, is there's a lot of chambers of commerce in the area. There's not like one for each city. <laughs> there are multiple chambers. Um, I will say. I don't think we have enough, if you want to know what I think. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, though, because usually there's one for each city, um, not kind of the breakdown and 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 I under, I've actually investigated a little bit some of the history behind that so that's fascinating but um I will tell you I went to one of the chamber events it was my very first time and um walked in there was a little star on my name tag that said you're a new person and as I was walking in the door so this is kind of about the process of how we welcome people in right right so hey I'm new here where do I start you know is there <laughs> They pointed to the food table. They pointed to the drink table and said, go for it. That was it. Mm. There was no conversation. There was no Bruh. welcome. There was no. Now, thankfully, I'm persistent. <laughs> I didn't get that from you during this conversation. I don't, I don't know where this persistence would be. And there was a, a lovely human being whose name is Gretchen. Uh, Gretchen Parks, who uh, who welcomed me in and took me under her wing and, and, you know, helped make some of those initial introductions and helped make that transition. And I can say that because she's involved in multiple chambers, so it doesn't point the finger anywhere. Um, who and, and, and that should be part of the process um, of how we welcome people in. Is what, when we know that there are new folks there, what are you doing um, to help um, at that event, in that moment, at that whatever. Yeah, because it's not easy. Um, I think where the breakdown happens is not that we're not enough Midwest nice. It's that we're talking within our circles. And it's hard as a newcomer to break in on someone's conversation where it's you can feel that where whoever you're talking to, it's all familiar, 
right? These are people that know each other and maybe they don't even know each other well, but there's enough familiarity. Um, and then to be a new person who has no familiarity and then you're trying to break into conversation, I will give us enough credit to say if it was done, it would be accepting, but it's a, it's a leap to ask people to do it. Well, and what's interesting is that you see that as a newcomer back to the community, but that's also how we remain in our silos and communities. Facts. Um, that keeps people from, from joining new and finding new and connecting across. Um, so I, you see it as a different lens as a newcomer, but again, that is also how, you know, we talk about, oh, how come people are so separate or how come this group and this group are segregated? Well, that's part of the reason why. Yeah. Well, we, we talk to what's comfortable and familiar. Absolutely. Except for me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I talk to what's comfortable and familiar, but I also, for whatever reason, people feel very comfortable and familiar with me, even when they don't know me. So they will walk up to me and be like, you're Timber. And I said, yeah, yes, I am. And that happens. So, <laughs> And I like the I like the fact that maybe... Maybe because I just have a weird name that people feel okay just walking up to it, me and just having that conversation. Um, and I try to serve as a connector when it does happen. Who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What are you trying to accomplish? And then I do, I go into a mode of trying to just um, connect them with those others who I know are excellent people and just not making them have to work so hard to on those introductions and you absolutely have so thank you for being one of those people i try i do try okay um this is becoming one of my favorite segments um we've done it now for several episodes and uh, there's something about it because i believe in the power of narrative yeah i and what made me realize that was going to uh when I go to conferences or when I go to trainings, there's only a couple of things I take away at the end, right? Because there's so much coming at you and there's feelings and there's emotion, right? But the things that stick with me are a, a data point that's just so crazy that you can't let it go because you didn't see it coming and narratives. When someone shares a story that is so powerful or that you just connect with, uh, whether you connect with it because it has it connects with you personally in your narrative or because it's just such a powerful narrative that you can't let it go. Um, it is story time. So it is time for your story of the week. Uh, Greta, what do we have? Um, I think, gosh, there's, again, there's so many different ways to go with this, but I think one of the things... Um, because this is kind of a running theme and right. How do you, how do you network across communities, how you connect people across and how do you, um, and one of those things is as, as an individual who's interested in making those connections, um, how do we, how do we sit, how do we learn to sit with the discomfort that comes with being in that position? Um, so this is a story, in the, the sense of some of the lessons that I learned along the way, um, uncomfortable lessons I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> have you learned some uncomfortable I lessons? I have. Um, I would not have guessed that. 
Um, and some of that comes from, uh, a lot of that comes from my working community. I said that that's been, you know, key, uh, very much key to my, my growth as a, as a human being, uh, growth as a professional who's, uh, interested, um, and values, uh, DEI, um, uh, and our, you know, the outcomes we're seeking. So I'll talk about one of the harder lessons that I learned working in community, right? So first it's just showing up, right? Facts. Um, I was in, I was in, a, I was in a position at the time though, where also it's not that everybody was opening the doors for me, but I could at least get my toe in the door um, because of my position at the university. I was kind of a connector between the university and the community there. So I could at least get my toe in the door, right? I could at least find out when and where the meeting was happening. <laughs> hey, and you know what? That's not easy. It's not. You know, people, it may not sound like a big deal to put the toe in the door, um, but that's actually, it's, it's a lot harder than it sounds. Right. So I was in a position at least where I could find out, you know, from those connections, even if I couldn't get a solid invite, I'd get a, yeah, they're not going to turn you away. And, and here's when and where it's happening. They're going to let you in. <laughs> yeah, right. let you don't in. have an invite, yeah. but they're not going to not kick gonna, you out. Yeah. They're not going to kick me out. Um, so there are a lot of things I learned along that path and along those. So because again, as I talked about, I was working a lot with the black community. I was working a lot with the refugee and immigrant communities. And um, there was opportunities along the way where there were co-leadership roles. So I, in one particular instance, right, there was a new committee. We were actually working on um, infant mortality in our community, which there's an enormous disparity in the United States um, in the uh, infant mortality rates, especially between black and white babies. Um, and, and again, that's also where a lot of the data is because simply because of numbers and statistics, like there, there are also uh, significant differences with, with other communities. But for us, statistically, you know, because of the smaller size of those populations, we couldn't tease those out um, and have them be statistically significant. But we know there's a huge difference. So that's one of the issues that we were working on anyway, where we know that there are um, three black babies, you know, dying for every one white baby in their first year of life. Mm, Infant and maternal mortality rates in the United States are disgusting. Um, there are countries with far fewer resources who do so much better than us in this area. My question and I know you paused because you saw me. Um, why? Why? Yeah, why? Well, and, and that's always the question, right? Because how do you fix it if you don't know why? And there are lots of aspects to it, but one of the assumptions people make is that it's about income, and it's not. Mm, okay. So because black mothers with a college education have a greater likelihood of experiencing infant mortality than white mothers with a high school education or less. I have pause. So why? <laughs> so I have to ask more why. Yeah. And, and, and maybe we shouldn't go too far down this path. Cause I feel like this is a whole nother episode, but <laughs> I couldn't help myself with the next why. Because of, um, the, the reasons that cause health disparities and some of that's interpersonal, uh, disparities that happen in how people are treated in healthcare. Oh, yes. Some of it is systemic disparities in how people are treated in healthcare. Um, and 
Um, and some of it you're familiar with, I'm sure you're familiar with, with the weathering hypothesis, right? Of the, what happens in terms of just living as someone with uh, a marginalized identity here in the United States. And, and particularly, you know, what does this mean? Originally, I think the conversation was around what it means to be black in the United States. Bruh. Um, and how that impacts your experience as a human and how all of those things that happen to us along the course of our lifetime affect us, affect our health, affect our, and that that's not just about income. No. <laughs> and it, our experiences. It also affects engagement. So one of the things that I think is most shocking to folks is that they don't realize that when, uh, for example, if a mother has recently moved to the United States from Africa, their likelihood of infant mortality is more like a white woman here. Mm. It is about the length of time. So, and it takes, you know, they're looking at that generationally, you know, from one to two generations for that family then of those black women to have a mortality rate, an infant mortality rate, right, that, that matches the U.S. So it is about the experience oh. being here in the United States. I'm picking up my jaw. And, and infant mortality is one of those things where it's easier to talk about because people are, are more willing to listen when you're talking about babies, when you're talking about the deaths of babies, um, and sometimes mothers, right? When we're talking about maternal mortality rates are also atrocious here. So this is one of the things that we that we were working on. So again, this is something we could talk about for a really long time. And uh, and I'm always willing to do so for anybody who wants to have that conversation. Um, but for me, it was also a lesson in terms of someone who was going into the community to learn about this issue and to help become part of the solution. That meant that when I, even though I'd spent some time around these tables, I also had ideas in my head of how this work needed to go. And how were those ideas formed? Through my experience, through my lens, um, right? And all of the things that shaped that along the way. And here I'm going into a community with a very different lived experience than my own. Right. And but going in with that assumption of how things need to go, how the meetings need to be run, how the process needs to go. And thankfully, I had been doing this work for long enough in the community <laughs> that I developed relationships. So, and I wasn't like the leader of this community. It was a co-leader with a black woman um, that she and, and some of the other folks around us sat me down and said, um, Here's the thing. <laughs> That's about as nice as it's going to get, too. Um, um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And to have been granted that opportunity. That's grace. Absolutely. It's definitely grace. Absolutely. So having those experiences over the years when, um, and, and only because I've spent time, devoted my time, you and energy, trust. right, and building relationship and building rapport and building trust that folks were willing to say, yeah, that's not how this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you might have good intentions. That doesn't mean your impact is positive. And, 
And let's talk about what's going to be more effective here. Mm. Um, I, I'm just having, I'm, you know, that's one of those moments where um, literally I just had the hairs on my arms stand up because that is, that's truth. And how often does this happen, right? Where we go in with this kind of saviorism perspective. Um, I want to help those people. Oops. I want to help this group. I want to help the less fortunate. I want to help the folks who are experiencing the disparity. I want to help. But we come in with this attitude that we have the solutions. Right. And that is not how this should work. Mm. Um. I've also done a lot of work on poverty uh, over the years from social determinants of health perspective. And, and one of the stories uh, that I learned from the woman who trained me in this area for some of the talks we gave, I um, was around a church who had learned that there was a, a family that belonged to their church, that the kids were coming to school with lunches from like McDonald's and stuff or without lunches at all. And in their investigation, they learned that this family didn't have a refrigerator at home. What did they do? Uh, I'm Look, I'm hanging on your words. <laughs> they got them a refrigerator. Okay. What did the family do? Not use it. They sold it. Because mm. nobody asked that family what they needed. There was an assumption made. Right. About what the right solution was for those people without including them in the solution, without asking them, without truly understanding what the need was and right. how, what they saw the need to be. Right. And then how do you think that church felt about it? <laughs> oh, they were in their feelings. Right. <laughs> right. Because the family didn't agree that that was their priority and what they really needed right now. Um, you know, and who knows what other bills they had to pay to stay in their house, to do whatever. And, and somehow when we go into this with the saviorism perspective, we forget the importance of self-determination. Oh yeah. I just, I just had something like this happen to me this week and I'm not even going to, uh, I can't get into the narrative of it, but yes, we are, so often I can't tell you so I want to give credit on two sides we so often have these individuals out here with means and resources who actually are really good people and they want to help and assist yes but they have their own ideas what that means and what it looks like and so they're like we are going to pay for this to fix this and we're going to do this that and another and we had a moment of pause where we were like, is that what that community even wants? And so I got the opportunity to actually go ask them, hey, is this what you want? And they go, no, no. If they want to spend the money, we would prefer this, this, and this. Which they're not okay with. Yep. Because they don't actually, it was about them. And it wasn't about who they said they were actually trying to help. Because it takes extra work to make that connection. To right? make that, to make that 
pivot. And, you know, it's so often, and, and how often does this happen? Whether it's organizations, whether it's, you know, community organizations, whether it's funders, whether it's whatever, we're making decisions for people without people. Mm. <laughs> we do it all of the time. All the time. And it can be as well-meaning as we want it to be. Sometimes yes. it's like, sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's a, a selfish motive there, but quite often very well-meaning. That doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. And the really beautiful opportunity to bring people in and have conversations and truly listen and learn and deal with that discomfort when somebody tells you that your idea is not, no, that's not what we want. That's not what we need. And you don't have to agree on that. But quite often, especially if you're on the side that you're providing resources, you feel like you have the right to determine for that person what they need. I'm the one that's giving. I'm the one that's providing. I'm the one that's going to decide. Right. But how self-centered is that? And are you truly meeting the need? Um, so that's kind of that shift, right, from, from saviorism to being an aspiring ally to being an aspiring accomplice in the work. Um, and I say aspiring because I think you never, first of all, you should never use those titles to describe yourself um, unless you're including that it's aspiring at the front end of it because it is a, an always learning kind of thing. Facts. And if we truly want to do that, we have to take a look at when we're making those decisions, who's at the table, who's been given a voice, who's been invited Who's planning the agenda for that meeting where you're sitting at the table? Um, and that we really have to reach deeper um, because we've learned a way of doing things um, through our life experiences. That is not the only way of doing things. Mm. And until we pay closer attention and be open and willing to sit with that discomfort and learn. Like think about how much more effective we can truly be. Facts. And that was, I get, um, sorry, I get emotional thinking about it because I know full well the mental and emotional labor that people placed in me you know what I mean? That they invested in me along the way to help me learn when I made those mistakes. Which is part of my commitment to paying that forward and helping others begin to learn those skills and learn that capacity. Like, how, how do you do that? And how do you avoid um, coming in that way, right? How do you develop the approach, the skill set, and the, the knowledge and tools to be able to do that thing. So that's, that's part of why I've taken the path that I've taken, um, is to pay some of that back. Hmm. Okay. We went hard. And uh, you know what? This episode is just like... We're, 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 we're putting our, we're putting our half the foot all over the line, <laughs> all over the line. And we ain't even got to the topic of the week yet. <laughs> we're working on that. All right.
So we're going to get ready for that. All right. You ready? I am ready. All right. Well, you know what? We cannot go into topic of the week without this right here. Every time it makes me happy. I can't tell you why, but nonetheless, it, it, it gives it a certain prestige. So our next segment is the topic of the week. And the topic of the week, um, 99% of the time is chosen by our guests. Sometimes I do end up choosing it, not often. Uh, but in this case, it was chosen by our guest. And so Greta, what is our topic of the week? I'm sure this is shocking based on our conversation up until now. What? <laughs> what do you mean? Connecting across differences. Mm. I um, think it's powerful. And it's, uh, obviously, it's so um, central to what I do and how I see the world now that I couldn't help but infusing on the rest of my conversations <laughs> with this. So maybe that makes this segment a little shorter. <laughs> hey, you know what? Since we've we're going since we're going long and hard, you know what I mean? So I mean like we're just in it, right? So Absolutely. we can if if this goes a little shorter, we're not hurting the episode. <laughs> um so connecting across differences and 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 what does it take and what does it mean? What does it mean to be intentional? Um, and what value does intention bring to this? Because as humans, we tend to, as I talked about a little bit earlier, is we tend to focus on the similarities between us because that's the easy way to get by. Mm, Whether yeah. it's in meetings, in conversations, when we meet people, and that's not a bad thing. I'm thinking that's human nature. That's an important skill. That is an important capacity to be able to connect on our similarities. And how much do we miss when we don't also attend to the differences between us? Mm. Yep. The opportunity to, to really, truly better learn and understand um, that person. The opportunity to really better understand. So I'm thinking about this like in the workplace, right? So if you truly better, have a better understanding of the differences that exist between you and your, your team... You don't always make the assumption that the problem that you're solving, that you see the problem the same way, right? So having that skill set to, to draw that out and to not come from the assumption that we're all seeing it the same way adds a depth and a richness then to that, to that next step, right? To that problem investigation, like, okay, we've got a problem. How, how does everybody see this problem? And not assuming that everybody sees it the same way, for example. Right. Adds a level of richness and complexity that's going to help you come to a better solution. And that takes a skill set. And that takes a minute. Um, so what are folks willing to do, right? And how do we help provide the opportunities for people to learn how to do that better? Because it doesn't always come naturally. Like you said, it's kind of human nature to find our similarities. And how do we go to that next step so that we can help people be more confident and effective in learning about and managing and navigating those differences when they exist? And so often these aren't always just about visible differences, right? Because 
typically people automatically jump to thinking about visible differences, which is important. But we also make assumptions when those of us in the room look similar to one another. We make assumptions about similarities that we necessarily shouldn't. All the time. Right? I love being in those meetings. (laughs) I get get the privilege of being in that space sometimes where... They think I'm the difference, and yeah. then the conversation happens, and then they realize yeah. I may be the uh, tannest person in the room, <laughs> but I'm not really the difference in the room. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how can we – I mean, that's one of the – we talked about the, the gift of diversity. I guess this is what I was talking about in terms of it, how it can enrich not just our relationships but being open um, to understanding difference. Um, it doesn't mean we have to agree with everything, right? But, but to understanding it um, and having the capacity to work through that and to sit with that discomfort that sometimes comes with that. Because then you're like, oh, now I don't know how to proceed. <laughs> <laughs> Before I was working off this assumption that we were all coming from the same place. And right. this is a much easier place to move forward from. Mm. And how much more beautifully complex... Um, can our solutions be how much better can we be in finding solutions that fit not just for that situation but for broader situations and truly meet the needs of the organization of the people within the organization of the people you're serving as customers or clients or those kinds of things of the variety of people in your community i like to think that the solutions are are built in a way that are more sustainable absolutely because you have you have more different types of viewpoints included in the solution well you're less likely to screw up you're less likely to arrive right when you can work for a place where you're not working from all of these assumptions that everybody's thinking about this the same way you're less likely to screw up so how much time and energy and trouble and resources does that save you on the back end on the back end you know, like how many times have we seen really god awful, for example, really god awful marketing or really god awful products that come to the market because they didn't have somebody on the team? Yeah, right. <laughs> there, there was uh, no diversity in that whole conversation, and then oh someone says, "Did you think about that? This right here might be this or offensive to that, uh, or just it's really not meeting a need." Oh yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's there's that. There's certainly the products that come out or the the cart campaigns that come out that are literally, literally offensive, and somebody should have caught that along the way. And that's on you for not having the diversity on your team to be able to identify that. And it's also just you know we continue to select people who are just like us. So our teams tend to be just like us. So we are not also looking at. <laughs> We're only seeing it through our lens and our communities and our customer base are very, you know, aren't exactly like us. So, so what is that missed opportunity and what is that wasted time and money and energy gone into creating something that is not, that's meeting a need that doesn't exist or poorly meeting a need that does exist. Right. Um, So, so to me, that's part of, that's part of diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and that's a piece of it that I have chosen to work on. It, it, DEI is so extensive, right? There are so many different aspects to it. For me, um, and I think for, for a lot of folks, it's important to understand that, you know, where your strengths lie. And one of, my, one of the things that I love to do is, is, is help people navigate that um, and, and 
put into place some of the lessons, those hard lessons that I've had to learn along the way. <laughs> yes. Um, in a way that's useful to help other folks um, to navigate that um, more. <laughs> Hopefully with not as painfully. <laughs> um, it is still, it is still hard. Um, you know, kind of sitting and learning to sit in those places of discomfort and the benefits are enormous. They are. What I'm always hoping to do um, when I work in the space is to walk in with the same number of people um, or leave with the same number of people that were there at the beginning. I don't want to lose anybody along the way, um, no matter how you feel or or where you are in your journey, um, your culture journey uh, is what I will call it, um, that we're going to pause long enough to understand you and give you an opportunity to be heard and bring you along too, because you are here for a reason. So if you are here to learn, if you are here to improve, to grow, whatever it is, I don't want to lose you because it was, it was brave of you to show up. There's so many who just don't even show up. They've already, they just write it off before they even walk in the space. Um, so if you are brave enough to show up, <laughs> whether by your own accord or not, <laughs> <laughs> I still don't want to lose you. And how can we learn to approach that with that curiosity and a sense of humility and a sense of openness and desire to learn? Um, and, and how do we help other people develop those capacities? For doing that and to fight against sometimes our natural inclinations, right? Because we, we develop, you know, um, we work with these assumptions for a reason, right? Yes. So how do we fight that in order, you know, help people to help people develop some of these tools, give them space to practice using these tools, you know, developing that curiosity, developing that openness developing that capacity to sit with discomfort and with um that sense of not knowing that ambiguity mm. yes so that we can be more successful in the long run so during this conversation i'm just thinking to myself and i'm saying you know what there's people out here who have heard you state that this is what you do professionally. <laughs> so, and someone's sitting there saying, I need to have a more in-depth conversation. I need to bring them into our organization. How do we do this? How do we, how do we connect with Greta? Um, probably most find me on LinkedIn. So Greta Lax on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Do we um, want to spell that? G-R-E-T-A-L-A-X. Yep. I'm just saying, because uh, a person it. like me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so LinkedIn, kind of everything is there. And and I love having these conversations. So I've got that link right in my profile that says, here, set up a 30-minute you know, meeting with me, and let's talk about it um, and figure out what 
uh, what the fits are, you know, what the needs are and what, what fits for, for you and your organization. And sometimes that's not me. Um, part, that's part of the humility as well is recognizing when that's when the fit isn't me. Um, and, and when, and if that's not the case, that's my goal to go that next step and help, um, uh, make those connections. So have, you, right fit. have you had any recent, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm so putting you on the spot. <laughs> Bruh. Um, <laughs> Has there been any, and I don't want, when I say recent, you can make it as recent as you want it to be, sure. um, any connections with any uh, individuals or organizations recently where you think you got an opportunity to have a conversation that had impact? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I think... What did that, I, I like what did, what did that kind of look like? Um you know, and you can be as general as you want because we're not trying to call anybody out or. Well, so much of that is uh, is about fighting the assumptions um, and that people have about this work, about DEI work. Um, so I, um, it's DEI and intercultural development is, is, is what I do, is the work that I focus on heavy on the intercultural development because typically when people think about culture you're thinking of oh i've got a team of you know a global team of folks and now i have to do that but that is culture is so much more basic than that right when we think about how our culture is developed what are the the institutions that helped us grow into the people we are and see the world you know whether that's education and religion and these basic things that shifted or that created our lens on the world and how people have had very different experiences with those institutions and with different institutions that have different lenses. So a lot of a lot of times that connection is 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 just first of all um, fighting some of those assumptions. Right. Not necessarily fighting some of those assumptions, but learning about them and having conversations to bring them out so that we can really get to the heart of the matter. Um, I think, you know, I had a really difficult conversation with um with someone that i met who said oh well you know that made the assumption that when we're hiring for diversity we're hiring people who aren't as capable mm. <laughs> Bruh. i can't tell you how often i've had that conversation mm -hmm. it's a, we're, like they're making concessions the assumption that if you are incorporating diversity into your practice that you're hiring somebody who is not as skilled is it's like it's so far off, right it's so far off the mark and still it's an assumption that many people still hold so you have to be able to have the conversations that pull those assumptions out and then talk about the reality of it that, that that's not like why why do you have that assumption first of all where is that going from right <laughs> um Somebody has to be in a place, a developmental place, where they're willing to acknowledge that that's an assumption that they're making and, and that it's uh, not an accurate assumption. So also understanding people's readiness. This particular conversation with this individual, they were not ready to move on to, you know, beyond. Mm -hmm. and, and that's okay. We have to know where people are. Um, we're not going to be able to work with absolutely everyone. Nope. At least not today. And... I just meet people where they're at. Right. You know? And and that person may not be ready to have that conversation today. That doesn't mean that a year from now we might not have a different conversation, but I do sometimes have to say, yeah, no, this is this is not 
this is not a good fit. Well, because um, you've got to know when people are having the conversation with you to be um, to debate. Oh, absolutely. Their point of view. Absolutely. To justify it. Right. And they're not in a place of growth. And I and I'm not here to debate it. Mm-hmm. That's I'm not going to change your belief. You don't change belief systems for yep. people. Absolutely. You're looking for a, a justification. You're hoping you can defeat me in conversation to justify your belief system. And that's that's a waste of my time. So in that particular instance, it was a matter of walking, you know, like walking away from the conversation because I was not going to come be fruitful and, and whatever, um, politely and still. Where have those conversations been more effective is almost every debrief that I do. So I use a tool called the Intercultural Development Inventory. Um, so which is almost hard for me to say that I love a tool <laughs> because I'm a bit of a psychometrics nerd, which means that I love the science behind developing tools, uh, tools like that, surveys, um, assessment tools, uh, which means that I see the majority of time how tools are being misused. Um, or how that tool has not, it doesn't have an evidence base behind it. We see that all of the time. Um, this is a, a tool that I've kind of fallen in love with because it helps people make um, a transition in conversations. Uh, a lot of times people come in and think of with this assessment that I'm going to label them as some kind of ist or doing some kind of ism. And what it really is, is like, let's talk about where you are and where your comfort is um, and where your capacity is for navigating difference on a developmental continuum. You who are going to have strengths where you are and you're going to have weaknesses. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, like I said, then where your goals are and where your curiosities lie and how we can help you get there. So it's a very different conversation than somebody who assumes that I'm going to tell them that they're racist or they're sexist or they're whatever. Because you know, we have that, and, right? Yeah. You have this conceptualization going into this assessment that I'm going to come back and label you. Whereas instead, if we can have a conversation about um, and better understand, right? So hold up a mirror so that you can kind of see where you are on this scale and, and how that resonates with you and how there's maybe a disconnect between where you are today and where you want to be. That's a whole different conversation. Um, so I, I've had lots and lots of those. I've been very privileged to have a lot of those conversations with people and be able to see that there is a way in um, that many other people don't. Because if you're just fighting over, over this is right, this is wrong, where are you going to get? Um, whereas this has been something I've been able to leverage to help move people along that continuum in a way that's meaningful for them, that also gets them to a place that's also going to help those that they're working with, whether that's their team, right, their colleagues, the environment, the place that they work, their community, their homes, right? Because sometimes these ex differences exist right within our own families. Facts. Okay. And I love that. Oh, yeah. Last words. Um, gosh. I feel like you've got a lot more to say. <laughs> no, no, actually, I was just thinking of the the um, the shout outs. 
Oh no 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 no! Okay, this we're is still just, going there. We're, what last words yes, on this topic? Yeah, last words on this uh, on your topic of the week. I think there's there's great opportunity here, and and for anyone that has a curiosity um, and an interest and a desire, um, there's great opportunity for growth there, and I love just absolutely love doing my part to help prepare people to be in a better place to do the work of DEI, to do the work of anti-oppression, uh, anti uh, liberation work, anti-racism work, right? To help set that foundation um, so that we can be more effective in the, the other work that we want to do. Facts. All right, we're gonna start winding down. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Kosh listeners, for spending time with us, uh, giving us your mind. Um, for what I would like to think uh, was a highly impactful conversation. Um, I think these learning points are so good sometimes um, when you can just have the opportunity to process it by yourself for a little while before you actually go out and have the conversation <laughs> with someone else. <laughs> like, um, and I, and I think we provide a platform that can do that. Like, um, you know, I like to hope that what we provide is the conversation where your mind is at, where you can kind of go back and forth a little bit. And hopefully we ask questions that you would want answered and that we provide a safe space also to just to figure it out. Right. Cause that's what I would want. And so that's what I'm always hoping we're giving. Um, once again, as you know, we are a work in progress. Feel free to reach out to us at askthekosh at gmail.com. Once again, that is askthekosh at gmail.com. You can reach out to us for anything. Uh, if you want to be on the show, if you got comments about an episode, if you want me to connect you with one of our, one of our uh, guests, um, that happens often. There is some wonderful things happening in the community um, amongst what I like to call the Kosh alumni, um, people who've been on the show and have listened to each other's episodes or um, others from the community have reached out to and we, sh we connect them, um, which is really powerful when you think about it at the end of the day to be able to have that platform to be able to do that. Um, also, um, Kosh listeners, all this time I've been giving you a phone number for our voicemail. Guess what? That phone number was shut off by Google, so we actually don't have it. Uh, I did not realize that until the other day when I went to go check it out, and it's not there. So we do have a voicemail. You can find it on our website, and that website is uh, thekoshpodcast.com. Once again, our website is thekoshpodcast.com. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can leave us a voicemail there and we if you have questions, if you got shout outs, whatever it is, we can play it here on air. Um, and then last but not least, um, I want to make sure that I say to our Akash listeners, please continue to um, review these uh, the Akash podcasts, except uh, it's a, it's self i am tongue-tied today i have dry mouth that is uh kind of what's happening and i don't want to smack because that just feels so disrespectful <laughs> but
but nonetheless, uh, that is that is what I've got going on right at this moment. And um, so, give us a review. Um, let us know. Subscribe. Um, help us raise the profile of the Kosh Podcast because I think this platform is super powerful and it gives an opportunity for us all to learn more about those individuals in our community and what they do and the resources that are available in our community. I think that is huge. All right. I feel like I have uh, done enough talking on this point. So let me just get to my favorite segment. It is shout out time. So Greta, what do you got for shout outs? Um, There are two folks that I want to mention. Um, from the Oshkosh area that have been really critical to how I got on to the path I'm on today. Um, one of those folks is Ted Balzer. Ooh, uh, I remember Ted. So Ted, when he worked at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, was in career services. And um, I didn't know, like when I was going back to school for my master's, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was thinking MBA because I'd worked for a few years in between undergraduate and going back for my master's and couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I was thinking MBA was the thing I had to do because I kept going into all these organizations and seeing all these things that needed to be fixed. And Ted's the one that told me, reminded me, because I'd had a class in an undergrad, about industrial organizational psychology. Oh. Yeah. Um, That's a mouthful. And, and yeah, and he is the person that helped set me on this path. And, and we've had a lot, of, we had a lot of great conversations when I was there. That was a very long time ago. But I wanted to shout out to, to Ted for being a, a, one of those people that, that really impacted my journey along the way. And another one of those folks is Susan McFadden, Dr. Susan McFadden, um, who was also at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, was. She's a professor emeritus now um, and uh, was was really critical in terms of my next step on my journey where I, you know, decided to go from my master's program to um, to uh, work on my Ph.D. But um, Susan worked on Dr. McFadden worked on aging and she did a lot of work around spirituality and aging. But she also taught an aging at work course as part of the IO psych program um, and just who she was as a, as a human being and some of the work that we did together and a connection that she made um, as uh, we did a panel. I wrote a paper and we ended up actually doing a panel at a national conference uh, with a paper we had done for one of her classes and she introduced us to a person who became a discussant for our panel, who was an expert, a national expert, who ended up being my mentor in Akron. So I wanted to thank uh, those two folks for being along the way. I wanted to thank the plow crews. (laughs) (laughs) Facts. Because um, coming back here after being in, I gotta, I gotta tell you, um, the 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 folks, the plow crews in Akron, the the city, whoever is leading that effort, could learn some things. (laughs) I don't know if anybody does it better than we do it here do a fabulous job and and having having lived places where they don't and that that shuts down you know that shuts down the city for extra time when things like snowpocalypse happens um that's that's a it's a huge difference and it doesn't hurt that i've got actually a friend on the plow crew for out of gaming county so mm. <laughs> Very good friend. to the shout outs all right i've got a couple of shout outs here um let me see here 
Um, I also actually had on my shout outs list to the people that do snow plows, salting and do treatment to our streets. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but they actually treat our streets before these snows happen. So there's uh, I think it's like a de-icing agent um, to help it from not being as bad as it could or would be. So. Um, thank you so much. Uh, the, you guys get two shout outs because of snowpocalypse <laughs> that it was a hot mess, but you know what? It didn't feel like a total hot mess. So thank you so much for getting out there and making it happen. I want to send a shout out to David Wilson from Umos. Um, you demand David doing, doing great, great things. Uh, send a shout out to people of progression. Um, yeah, enough said. People of Progression are just doing amazing things in the region. Um, hopeful about some of the things that are to come and some of the connections that they're actually making in the cash. So I'm, ex- I'm excited and hopeful that those partnerships are fruitful. Um, big shout out to Juan uh, over at New North. Uh, he's the VP of uh, DEI and had a great meeting with Juan. Um, he's a visionary. It's got a plan. I just see great things to come. Um, right people, right place, right time matters. Um, and I, I think he fits that. Um, big shout out to my man, Chris Tarman. Uh, he hosted a leadership training this week uh, that featured Drew Dudley. And if you've never seen it or heard, uh, find that TED Talk. And it's amazing um he does an amazing job of redefining how we define leadership so um it it actually had a great effect on me and i'd like to send a shout out to the uwo veterans resource center and the student veterans association for hosting the uh cops and veterans cornhole tourney uh, I didn't play, but I got to peek in, say hello. It is a fabulous event, and I just like to see that it's still still alive and happening and kicking. And um, it's, it's always good to see legacy events be able to continue on. And lastly, big shout out to the planning committee for the Dragon Boat Races here. Um, coming in the future, back to the Kosh. So I can't wait. You know, uh, if there's if, if if the universe is speaking that the way it is, um, I believe the city of Appleton might just have a dragon boat, right? Uh, dragon boat of us team. We're about that life. We're not playing around. We want to represent. So and we want to support. So that's a conversation happening. That is not a promise yet, but we're getting it to the place of being a promise. We're working on that. All right. So we are at the last, last part of the show. And the last thing to do is you've got choices. There is the opportunity for parting words of wisdom. Or what we always like to ask is, what would yourself today tell your 12-year-old self Or if you would like to cover both, we will take option C. So, Greta, what are we feeling? Oh, um, definitely about my my 12-year-old self. I feel like just just be you. 
Just mm. be you. That's it. Yep. Love it. All right. What'd you think? Yeah, I'm asking you. Fabulous. I had no, I had no doubt this is going to be a great conversation. And there's, gosh, of course, eight million more things that we could talk about. So, but I really am grateful for the opportunity. So, thank you. The cash.